0: We are repentant, we are grateful,
1: we are redeemed, we are prayerful, we are First Baptist Church.
0: All right, good morning, Logos Worship. If you're able to, would you go ahead and stand up as we sing? I was very pale. My shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not You call me a citizen of heaven So that.
2: sure and steady, my hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble and breath is free,
0: We declare that you, indeed, are better. And in the midst of that declaration, we choose to worship you, declaring your worth. So God, lead us to not only do that in song and in prayer and in gathering here, but also with our lives that we give to you. As the plates go around and we give of our financial means, may it be an act of worship.
3: confess
0: Y'all can go and have a seat.
1: Oh, goodness, I love it, I love it. Go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter two, please. I hope that you've been faithfully reading Colossians. Um, again, it's not a long letter, it's a it's a little letter written to a small church in Colossae. Hopefully you've been following along um, each week as we have been here. Um, let me just first say before we read today's text together, that if you're new with us, thank you for coming. Uh, We're glad that you entered into a new space surrounded by new people. We don't wanna take that for granted, so thank you so much for being here today. Um, In the chair in front of you, hopefully, you've already found um, a small card that says Connect Here. If you would just honor us uh, by filling that out, uh, we would love that. That way, we can begin a friendship with you, which we want to treasure and value. And at the close of our worship gathering, if you could just take that card, and as you exit, there's a bar top to the right. If you could just lay that there or give it to that person. There should be a person back there. I- I'd rather you just, just hand it to that person. Um, but again, we are so thrilled that you're here. All right, let's stand together. We're gonna read Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore... according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and reading that with me. Uh, I know it's a longer passage, but grateful that we get to read God's word together. So already at this point... Uh, Paul has written to this small little church and now us, we have received this from Paul and he has reminded us that Jesus alone is sufficient because his righteousness becomes our righteousness and because of his work on the cross, we have forgiveness for all of our sin, not just part of our sin. And he says Jesus is sufficient for all of your life, not just part of your life. And he's reminded us Um, that he wants us to grow up in Jesus. He wants us to mature our faith in that Jesus who is sufficient for all things. And then last week he reminded us, not only do I want you to grow up in Jesus, but in that process of knowing more about Jesus and learning how to follow Jesus, in that process, I want you to know who you are in Jesus. I want you to be secure in your identity as a son and daughter of God so that When these things from the world and from people like the ones we're gonna be talking about here come to you and start teaching you things that aren't true, that you would be able to say, no, Jesus had no part of that. And so he's saying, Colossians, I want you to grow up in Jesus. I want you to know who you are in Jesus so that you can discern between truth and error. And now we find ourselves where we are today. Now the beauty of this passage today is that Paul is going to give us really awesome reasons why we shouldn't put our confidence in the things that these other people are telling the Colossians to put their confidence in. things like, you shouldn't eat this, or you should worship on this holy day only, or you need to be sure to dress this way. Um, Paul is saying, I'm gonna tell you why You shouldn't put value in those things. And so today we had the privilege of looking at Paul's top five reasons why we should not put our confidence in those kind of spiritual counterfeit expectations for us. Now you'll notice if you have a worship folder, I only have four in there. It's because I've added one between the last time I wrote that outline and this morning. So we'll get to that as well. All right, so the first one. So we're looking at the top five reasons not to put your trust in fleshly things or not to put your trust in a set of religious rules or religious requirements that later on, Paul will see is completely self-made. Man, made it has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with us. The first reason um, that we find in verse 17. Now remember, in verse 16 and verse 18, Paul has already said, now listen, don't let these people pass judgment on you. And verse 18, he says, don't let them disqualify you because you have no reason to put the confidence in the things they want you to put confidence in. And here's the first reason why in verse 17. So let me read that. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. To Jesus. And so Paul says, Listen, the things that they're asking you to orient your life around are just a shadow of the real substance of the things, and the substance of those things is Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, Paul knew the religious law of the Hebrews better than anybody. He was an expert of the law. He knew about dietary restrictions. Uh, He knew about all the festivals and all the observances of significant days. He knew what to wear and what not to wear, what to say and what not to say. He even knew the first law. Do you know what the first law was? Don't eat, right? He knew that law. I mean, Paul was an expert of the law. And he also knew that all of the law and all the festivals and all the observances and all the requirements of the law were designed to point to Jesus who was coming, right? The whole purpose of the law was to point to the fulfillment of the law who is Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying those things that the law required of us, they were just a shadow. But Jesus was the real thing. The purpose of the law was to point to Jesus. So Paul says, I don't want you to live back there as if Jesus hasn't come. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Jesus has come. Jesus, the very Son of God sent by the Father has come and and he died on the cross for your sin and he rose from the grave. The person of Jesus, the Son of God and the work of Jesus has been completed. Jesus has arrived and you don't have to go back and do the things that were just pointing to his arrival. So don't try to bring back those things that only serve the purpose to point to Jesus who has already come, right? Right? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Don't think I have come to get rid of the law and the prophets. He says, no, I have come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill the law. It would kind of be like this couple who got married on their wedding day. But after getting married, they didn't move in together into one home But they insisted they still had to plan the logistics of their wedding for the wedding day. And they still had to put the wedding dress and the tux on every single day. And they had to make sure they had enough food for everybody on that day. And they had to make sure everything was in order for that day. But the reality is they've already had the day. They've already been married. And rather than enjoying being married together, they're still living as if the wedding has never happened. Paul says don't live that way. Don't live like that. When people try to put those kind of religious man-made expectations on you, they're just pointing back to the shadow of things and not the substance of things who is Jesus. So he says, don't do it. Don't do it. The second reason is this, is he says in verse 20, follow along with me, he says, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world. Now remember, he used this phrase last week. And what he means by elemental spirits of the world, he says, there's, there's this whole other world that we can't see that is an enemy to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And that spiritual realm that is at odds with the kingdom of God is at work against you and is pulling against you so that you will obey and do what they command rather than follow Jesus. So he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? What does he mean by that? Now remember, God gave the law to us, and Paul would remind us that the law is good. The law pointed us to Jesus. It pointed us to the need of someone to make us righteous because the law condemned us. The law would remind us that we are broken people unable to fulfill the righteous requirements of God. And so God says, let me give you the law so I can point you to the one who will make good on your need, will meet your need through Jesus Christ. But what the enemy did was would take the law and then use it to condemn us over and over and over and over and over again. The enemy would remind us, you will never be good enough. You can't follow the law, or you have to follow the law. If you don't do this just right, you won't be able to add up enough righteousness to be okay with you and God. And so he's saying these elemental spirits use the law that was good to condemn you. And you say, why go that why go back to that? You're saying, if you're in Jesus, didn't you die to that? Uh, didn't you die to that? So by trusting in Jesus who becomes your righteousness? 1 Corinthians 5, 21 says that we become uh, the very righteousness of God. And so um, if you've died to that and have inherited the righteousness of Jesus, why have you come back and enslaved yourself once again to the things that condemn you? Don't eat. Don't touch, don't handle, don't wear. He says, why would you go back and hold yourself hostage again? Why would you bring those things back from the dead? Because they only condemn you. You have freedom in Jesus. Why return to the dead things? The third reason why he says, put no confidence in those kind of rules. Don't eat, don't touch. In verse 22, a parenthetical statement, he says, you know, these people are saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22, he says, now I'm referring to things that all perish as they are used. Please understand that Paul has a very good sense of humor here. Um, And I think he's utilizing this very well right now. He says, I don't want you to put so much stock so much spiritual stock in things that are temporary because food and clothes and even 24 hours in a day or a day, they all pass away. They all waste away. They really don't matter, right? Essentially, he's saying it just all turns to crap. I mean, that's what he's saying, it's it's just, It has no value because you use it and it perishes. You know, Paul's not the only one who said that. Jesus said that too. He says in Mark 7, 16 through 19, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Don't you understand too? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not in his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? So Paul's saying, why are you putting your confidence in things that just waste away? Silly. Those things that perish and waste away don't add up to righteousness. They're just things. So don't put your confidence in things that waste away. Then he says this in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the fourth reason is that they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The aim of these man-made rules, some of them, these spiritual regulations of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, um, for those teaching them are intended to constrain or put in check this sinful flesh that's in us, right? These sinful Desires. If I could just constrain it, uh, then I can hold it at bay. And really, what Paul says, they can have an appearance of wisdom. Uh, They can make a person look like they have everything together, right? Man, we come up dressed apart on Sunday morning. Uh, We come to worship and we check that off. We make sure we go to Bible study and... Um, We make sure we don't drink certain things and we eat certain things or we don't eat certain things or whatever, as the the case back here. On the outside looking in, it kind of looks like, wow, that person has their life together. But Paul says, no, it's man-made religion. It looks wise, but it really has no value in actually overcoming the sinful desires that you're trying to get rid of to begin with. Jesus called out the Pharisees for this. Remember this in Matthew 23, 27? He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look nice on the outside, but you are full of dead bones on the inside. Man, you looked the part. Man, you were able to put on all the right clothes and do all the right things, but on the inside, you had no righteousness at all. You weren't, you weren't in Jesus. You were in yourself whitewashed tombs, Paul would say those kind of things of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, he says they don't ever, ever, ever work to overcome the temptations of the flesh. There's no value. I'll tell you what it does do though. It does one or two things. When we submit ourselves to those kind of man-made spiritual regulations or counterfeit spiritual expectations for us, if we give our life to those things as a measure of our righteousness, one or two things happen. It gives you a sense of control, which leads to pride. I've got this. Right? I can do this spiritual thing leads to pride or it leads to fear and guilt because you can't do it you're going to miss a sunday you're not going to eat the right thing or not drink the right thing or and then rather than having confidence in jesus you're going to live in fear and shame that says i'm not good enough, I can't do this. So one of the two things happen. It puffs you up like it did with the Pharisees. Oh, look at us. We've got this thing together. I don't need anybody but my own willpower and discipline. Or it leads to fear and shame that says, I am not good enough. I can't do this thing. I fail over and over again. And every time I try and then I fall again, and I just, my heart and mind is wrecked because I can't get it together. I can't put on the right clothes. I can't do the right things enough. What did Paul tell us? He says, in Jesus, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You're not a slave to fear, but you are a son and daughter of God that you can come to him without fear and say, Father, Father. Even when we have sinned as believers, we don't come back to him in fear, we come back to him with what? With confidence. That my sin is forgiven because of who Jesus is and his work on the cross. See, it has nothing to do with my ability to eat the right things or not eat the right things or dress the part or not dress the part. It has everything to do with my confidence that Jesus has already done all the work for me. And Paul says, don't go back to that." that. That's slavery, that's bondage. That's fear or pride. That's why Paul says, just a few verses before this, he says, when you know who you are in Jesus, I want you to abound in thanksgiving. You wanna know what pride is? It's thanklessness. I don't need anybody but myself. Not only that, but when we submit ourselves to these kind of regulations, you know what else it does in our pride? Rather than looking to Jesus, where do we look? At one another. Oh, I saw what Danny did. Did you see him? I can't believe Danny wore a polo on stage. <laughs> you know, I mean, we we when we. Live under those kind of regulations, it turns our eyes from Jesus, puffs us up, or leaves us in sheer and faint uh, shame, and then we just turn to one another and eat each other alive. Paul says, "Don't do that. Don't submit yourselves to those kind of regulations again. You are free in Jesus. You are free of those kind of restrictions, man." When we live under those kind of regulations, it just feeds the flesh. Has no value in overcoming the indulgence of the flesh. None at all. Paul says you're gonna feed it. We don't overcome our sinful nature by trying to constrain it, we overcome it by putting it to death by the power of the spirit that is afforded us in Jesus. Loving and following him, looking to him, seeking him. Paul says none of those things have anything to do with Jesus. They have everything to do with man-made religion. Um, The last thing I want to mention, (laughs) the fifth reason that I've added is this. Um, In verses 18 and 19, we've already read them, but he says... Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Clearly there was a person or people in this small church or around this church, looking into this church and saying you're not spiritual enough because you're not doing these things. Uh, And one or more than one were saying, you know, we know this because an angel has revealed this to us. They had a vision, worshiped angels. We don't know what exactly was going on, but that's in part What was happening. He says, uh, who are going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. In other words, the origin of these regulations had nothing to do with Jesus but their own sinful nature. It came out of their own sinful nature. So here's the fifth thing. This kind of legalistic, counterfeit spiritual regulations don't come from Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Here's a play on words here. So Paul writes... These kind of things come from a sensuous mind rather than trusting in the head, capital H. See what he's saying here? The origin of restrictions and man-made religion comes from the mind of man, supposed visions, rather than the head or the brain who is Jesus. I love Paul. When he does that. And so, the origin of these regulations, the reason we don't adhere to them, enslave ourselves to them, is because they're not from Jesus at all. They're not from Jesus at all. They come from someone's sensuous mind. Ah, man, all of us can be caught up in this. And we're going to move into a time of response right now. My invitation to you is. To search your heart, would you be willing to ask yourself, Am I putting my confidence in the things that I do or don't do or eat rather than the person and work of Jesus? Am I looking to those things? Or is my confidence built on who Jesus is and what he's done? Am I trying to live this life by accruing enough good stuff? that other people expect from me? Or am I looking to Jesus for the way to live this life, following him, loving him, and loving others? Would you be willing to admit that to yourself and confess that to the Lord? And the way that we respond here in Lagos is we want to be vulnerable and open, we pray. We recognize these steps, this stage area as an altar. We say, would you come and be open and willing enough to pray? Our commitment to you is that someone from our gathered believers in this room would come over you and pray over you. But it also may be that there is one or two of you in this room, your whole life, you've put your confidence in the flesh. You've put your confidence in your ability to do stuff. I've grown up in church. I've, I attend Bible study. When people say, are you, are you a Christian? You say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I grew up in church all my life. Just adding to the list of Righteousness. Could you just please admit, would you obey the gospel and agree that it doesn't matter how much you do and how even the good things that you do, it doesn't add up to any righteousness at all. The the word of God says your righteousness is but filthy rags. Would you admit and confess to the Lord that you can't do this on your own? that you need Jesus, would you put your confidence and faith in Jesus and say that I want the righteousness that he offers, I want the forgiveness that he offers, would you obey the gospel, yield yourself to Jesus, and look to him alone today for the very first time? And we'd love to know about it. If you're believing in Jesus for the very first time today as a son of God who died for your sin and rose from the grave. We wanna know about it. You can come tell me up front or tell your neighbor, but we want to know you can grab me after worship gathering. There's nothing holy or significant about walking 25 feet down here. We think it's important because we wanna be a part of what God is doing and see what he's doing, but it's not necessary. Will you let me know? We wanna know. And there's one other way that I wanna invite you to consider responding. Um, it may be that you need to go pray for someone else in this room and not wait for them to come up here. Would you be willing to ask, and I know this is bold, this is so, so un uh, but would you be willing to get up from where you are and go pray for that other person in this room because you know they have a need? Just touch them on the shoulder, so they can I pray for you. Would you be willing to respond that way too? Let's stand together and I'll pray. Father, Lord, this whole time is yours. All this worship is yours. This time of response is yours. Lord, we want to exalt your son, Jesus. We don't wanna yield to counterfeit spiritual expectations, but Lord, help us to follow Jesus, the the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.
2: Things have passed away, your love has stayed.